Welcome to the Handful of Leaves podcast. My name is Cheryl and today we're back with another episode. With me, I have Sister Amy. She is a wonderfully renowned Buddhist music composer. I am very excited today because I'm such a big fan of her. I have listened to so many of her music and it's bring me through a lot, a lot of uh, dark periods in my life. I would hand over the stage to her to introduce herself. Hello, everybody. Hi, Cheryl. I'm Amy Ui, Huang Huiyin. I'm a Buddhist musician, composer, and also a singer. You probably have heard some of my ancient <laughs> work. When I say ancient, it's more than 25 years. Like the oh. Chant of Metta, the Heart Sutra, the Freshian Paramita, and the Omani Pamehong, to name a few. I would like to say good evening to everyone. Hope I'm sending Metta from Kuala Lumpur to all around the world. Wow, so amazing. I think even as you're sharing, I already feel so much meta radiating from you. <laughs> because you feel meta inside you. So everybody who have kind heart and promote peace and harmony will naturally has it inside mm. them, right? Yes. We would love to understand a little bit more about your personal journey, mm-hmm. of how you became a Buddhist musician. Well, this is not a plan. When I was young, people asked me what you want to be when you grow up. I was naturally thinking of becoming a music teacher, a piano teacher, because my mother is a music teacher back then in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. So we, we have a music school back in our hometown. All we sisters and brother, we learned the piano. So until then, I never thought I can compose music or even sing. Of course, we sing at home when we play the piano. We do have a lot of fun evening uh, family mini concert at home. Since then, we are very exposed to a lot of good music, especially the Disney music, because from the cartoons, yeah, and also from the pop industry and also Christian songs. Because once you love music, you tend to look for songs to sing. Yes. When we play piano, we are always playing classical music. Mm. Eventually, we also learned the electone organ. The Yamaha electone was very, very popular back then. That's Is where you can double tier one. Oh yes, you have a rhythm box. Then you can have flute. You have strings. Besides piano, you are also able to use other instruments, and then you can make your cymbal arrangement. It's a one-man band. Such an enjoyable for kids uh, and teenagers like us back then in the seventies and eighties. So back to the question, I stumbled upon writing Buddhist Sutra. Actually, the first piece was the Sanskrit Heart Sutra, the Pashnya Paramita, given to me by a director. I think he was very into Buddhist studies in Sanskrit. Mm. And he also noticed that there are a lot of good Christian music, Mm. you know, gospel music, but there isn't many Buddhist music that can sing or play in the house as background music. Most of our Buddhist music then was more for rituals or for ceremonies, mm. so maybe more traditional. So then I, I was very happy when I saw the Sanskrit. I have never even learned Sanskrit, but uh, it's not very difficult for us Malaysian mm. or even Singaporean. So we picked up Sanskrit very easily from, of course, a good teacher. Mm. And naturally, when I know how to, to pronounce all of them, I find that it is very challenging for me to, to compose a song. Since then, I was just a teacher, but I, I always aspired to be a composer. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, to be able to put musical notes, phrases, melody into such a long, foreign, ancient, sacred text, mm-hmm. it is such an honor. 
So I, I did that and I sang as well. Instead of looking for a singer, I sang myself. And then it turned out quite quite good. The result mm. was very, very pleasing to a lot of people's ears. This was one of my very first Dharma music. Even those days before the internet was very widely used, mm. it went all the way to China and even to Europe and in so many places. Wow. I think it's the strength of the Sanghas and also the Buddhist uh, disciples, laymen and laywomen. Once they get hold of a nice Heart Sutra version, they want to spread it and share it. You know? mm. It's like the nature of us uh, Buddhist brothers and sisters. After that, one after another, the Chan of Metta, then the Hasutra in Mandarin, then Omani Pamyon, all the mantras that you can think of from the main Bodhisattva and the three Buddhas, Madison Buddha, Amitofo, wow. everything just came. And from three lineages also, I, I get a lot of requests. So this is my journey and it's mm. like no, no turning back until today, since 1998, I think. Wow. And along that journey, I also got the opportunity to write for three very big skill musical, Siddhartha, mm. and then the Master Hongyi above full moon, and also Princess Wencheng. This is all Buddhist history story where I could present my dedication in musical notes. And this is my journey. Until Thank now. you so much for sharing. And I'm also very, very curious. What drew mm-hmm. you to Buddhism and what was your journey in Buddhism actually? Okay, what drew me into Buddhism? Actually, it's the music I wrote. Mm-hmm. Then I started to realize that, oh, I can actually practice Buddhism instead of just praying. During our young days, it was more like a culture. We just burn joystick mm-hmm. then certain mm. festival then we have a lot of fruits and flowers to offer yeah. but it never occurred in my mind that there is this deep philosophy or deep wisdom that is so practical to our daily life and even so useful for us to deal with all the negativities and emotions love and hatred everything we could find the answer to ease ourselves from all these pains and suffering from this religion Mm. so it changed my perspective of a religion right away after I wrote the music when the music is popular then you tend to meet a lot of Buddhist practitioners then you meet a lot of uh, monks and nuns you open up to compassion mindfulness giving and patience Mm. you name it you know all the good things in this one horizon that you always bump into these people, that's where you can learn and ask your question mm. in life. Yeah. Was there a particular time in your life where you felt the Buddhist teachings really helped you tremendously? If you want to mention one, it's probably what have just happened this year. My parents, my mom and my dad, they passed away simultaneously within three weeks. First, my father caught COVID and then he went to the hospital and he, he came back and he never recovered because all his energy and, 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 and his body has already been exhausted by the attack of his lungs and even his brain. So he passed on and then my mom followed on three weeks later. My mom was uh, sick with cancer, mm-hmm. but he, she was still well. But I think because of this sadness of my father and, you know, it just suddenly speed up everything she also felt that you know, her meaning of life is different now mm. and also because she practices Buddhism she felt like she's not afraid of releasing her body's pain she mm. was in, in pain because she was on the last stage of cancer 
and she refuses to go into any other treatment because she thinks that she's already very old mm. and there's no point of exhausting everybody's energy. But of course, she went to a little treatment to make herself feel easier. Like when her lungs is filled with water, she has to drain it out. Those procedures that she got to do to make sure that she breathes properly. Mm. But I think she made out her mind. So what I saw in my mother's bravery and her decision to let go just like that and let her body takes its own course. It was like a big awakening to me. Like, I'm never going to tell my mom how we're going to miss her and ask her to hang on and things like mm. that. There was this part that I think, well, I'm going to be very selfish or I should just let my mom go mm. and maybe there's another place. So I should release her as my mom. Now she probably want to be reborn mm. as another being in another better place. She's becoming an individual all over again. Our yuanfen, our affinity as mother and daughter will come to an end very soon. The first five months of this 2023, where everything was very intensive, you can be very calm and um, poised in managing the thing, but deep inside you when uh, the night sinks in and everybody is asleep, if you feel like your mom and dad is walking towards the end of their life, there's always this pain. You have to come to an acceptance that this is it, time is up. And what helped you through those moments of pain and perhaps loneliness as well? Mm, not so much loneliness mm. because we were very busy then because we mm. all stayed in one same place. So no loneliness. The, the sense of responsibility takes over. It's like being the eldest in the home. Not only you got to make sure everything is in place, but you feel that sometimes we, we, we let other people suffer or we sort of take it for granted that people will do it or people can just figure it out. But when all the responsibility comes upon you, then you will notice that even these little, little things, a cup of tea in time or a little care just at the right moment is, is so important. So I think the sense of responsibility took over my mm -hmm. whole head and body. Mm -hmm. I don't feel anything. There wasn't any pain except when I want to sleep in. And there will be this split second when the reality sinks in. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's like you are just living in a moment. You take care of everything, minute by minute, hour by hour. You have to sort it out. You become so selfless. I, I realize that I don't think of myself, whether mm -hmm. I'm, I'm tired or I'm busy or I have not eaten or I have not bathed. All these things, when it falls in place, it is there. If it mm -hmm. is not there, there's always other things that is more important. Yeah. yeah. I recently watched a movie about people, the last moments of their death and their mm -hmm. loved ones just being around them. And there mm -hmm. was this quote that really stuck to me and it was saying that because our parents, they have a body, they have to pass mm -hmm. away, mm -hmm. but love doesn't have a body. So love will always uh, continue to live on, even though the mm -hmm. parents, the physical form uh, mm -hmm. has gone away. Yeah, of course. But the more important thing is what are you going to do with this love for your parents? Mm. It's not just loving memory or you just remember them during an anniversary or just the rituals or, or you just look at the pictures and then you talk about the past. Mm. If you think there's so much love that's passed on, it's important to continue the legacy of your parents, the good attitude and habit of your parents. I am not a very... A romantic person or emotional person I, I will write all the beautiful words in memory of my mom but I, I am not so much into that but what did my father and mother left behind that mm. I can use to grow to a better person 
and let them be proud of me as a daughter. And also what I can do for them to the society. Recently, I posted about an article I wrote in remembrance of my parents. And I was thinking, what can I give with this story besides my words? I also shot a lot of my mom's paintings, mm. about eight to ten of it, and I posted it together. I said, this is what my mom's painted for us. And for a lot of my fans too, now I'm putting it on Facebook. Whoever wants to download it, they can use it. Mm. So whenever I remember my parents, I will remember their virtues rather Mm. than the love lives on. I think the love don't have to be mentioned. In fact, sometimes Mm. I think I don't want to be so attached and Mm. keep thinking of the the love. The love has to be spread out Mm. and shared by many other people. So I, I want to think, what did my father left behind? These virtues, it could be like a physical thing. Like my mom, she left a lot of paintings. She mm. left a lot of nice cooking recipes. She cooked so well. I think that I want to cook it every Chinese New Year for our family. These are like simple things yeah. that you need to put it into action rather mm. than all the text and stickers and just words. Yeah, in a way yeah. it's very tangible, right? Yeah. Tangible and people could use it or even taste it. Mm. and touch it yeah amazing yeah, that's the way <laughs> I want to express it yeah thanks for the free flow uh, conversation we go into a lot of this beautiful perspective exploring mm. our loved ones and, and mm. all the virtues that they leave behind that we can bring forward and express out to the yeah. world as well mm-hmm. moving back to maybe some of the questions related to your journey uh, as a musician okay. I think you have been a musician for about 26 years yes as a Buddhist musician yeah Buddhist musician but before that in fact since 18 years old I was already teaching and writing some simple songs I started very early when I was 18 I have this batch of five to six students Mm. they were like about five years younger than me Mm. now they already have families and they they are all doing very well in music too so they are all over the world we still keep in touch even some of my concerts I will also ask them to help me do some arrangement if we zoom into your career is a, as a Buddhist musician. What were some of the challenges that you faced? Okay, many have asked me about these challenges. Hmm. But if I say none, it will sound very unbelievable. But there is a reason why I say there's none. Because I never plan to succeed in a certain way. Or hmm. like, I will never think that I have to be doing so well and I need to be famous so it's Mm. very much living in the now if you are only 30% good but you do it wholeheartedly then it is a 100% result Mm. of the moment in Mandarin I would say like the Heart Sutra said there's no fear and there's no challenges because I feel that in Buddhist text and this sacred text there's no way you can fix the best melody to it because these are boundless Mm. Yeah, wisdom maybe in future there will be even more people coming to make it even better mm. so without any burden of like what are the challenges because when you say the challenges means you want to make it good real good mm. but if you let go of all this whatever you do to the best if it's no good it's meant to fail then let it fail mm. so I, I adopt that kind of mentality so in that case I felt like the whole journey of production is very smooth even mm. when I record singing, I don't want to have so much fuss about I got to rest, I got to drink some honey, or <laughs> I got to meditate. But I think I want to be just a normal person. 
Mm. But the sense of responsibility is like, I still have to take care of so many other things. Cannot be let, letting other people, giving me the convenience and then they suffer and they got to run all over to, to do things just because they want to give me a good condition to record my mm. so-called very important sacred song mm. of Kuan Yin. But if you are Kuan Yin, you should be helping other people. You have no condition. With that kind of little understanding or enlightening wisdom that I adopt, I found that I have no challenges. There was not once that I think that it gives me a lot of stress that I want to throw it away and then I still couldn't get the right note. I've done enough for it. Mm. Okay, it's because I got so many requests. So I cannot mm. be mulling on one for a long, long time. Mm. So if that one doesn't work, like say I only have five people like it instead of 500 or 5,000 people, then be it. Mm. So it's like yeah. I think if you ask about challenges, there's not much. Also because I don't know what will be the benchmark of good mm. Buddhist music. There is none. I think this is a very universal thing that each and every piece of Buddhist music that goes out, they, they will all naturally find their listener who can embrace it and use it for their own healing, calming themselves or even feel joyful about it. I think it, it's so uh, inspiring because the music that you create really goes right into people's hearts and speaking from my own mm. experience I feel mm. that it just goes into my heart where that, that melting kind yeah. of experiences where my anxiety yeah. just melts away perhaps the, the reason is because when you create this music there's no attachment no expectations yeah. um, so it I, flows through to the listeners as well mm. I feel that the reason why my music can penetrate well perhaps is because I never thought so it's mm. like every one of the volunteers everybody holds their position and they are, have their responsibility in every corner of this world. So I think my part is perhaps because people like my voice and happened that my voice and my composition and my music arrangement seems to blend well mm. as a whole. I'm blessed. Has there been a time where you felt that Maybe this fame is a little bit too much or anything like that? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I need more. <laughs> because it's very difficult, this so-called fame and celebrity status, mm. if there's one and yeah, even exist. Mm. Over the years, people have heard my music but don't really know who is behind this uh, because I never show my face in my mm. album most of the time. Only until 2015 where I had my first concert that people know this is how Amy looks like. Mm. In fact, I think I, I can do with more because I didn't misuse it. So I, I don't mind more fame because I'm very confident and I'm very stable in the ego part maybe. Mm. I'm stable and also because of my age. I, I'm not like a young person anymore. I'm not guaranteeing. I don't know, maybe... Five years down the road, suddenly I become <laughs> somebody very snobbish. You know, we never know. Then you better give me a big knock on my head. Okay? So in that sense, I think we can do with more because I think we need more people to listen to Buddhist music because young Buddhists is reclining in numbers yes. and more and more people not coming into the monastery or Buddhist. But I, I'm not very worried about that. We, it's just a matter of time we change ways. Maybe we just use other ways. We should open more windows and doors. Back to whether this pressured me. No, I think I can do with more fame and mm. publicity so that uh, the music can go further. 
in fact, until now, a lot of pe- people who have heard of my music, they don't know I'm in Malaysia. Mm. They thought that I'm from China or Taiwan or somewhere. They don't even know the people behind the music. But I'm happy. I think in Buddhist music, it's not like pop music. People want to know who is the singer, mm. like Taylor Swift or <laughs> BTS. Yeah. But in Buddhist music, it's not. People just want to listen to the mantra. Mm. It's the sound by itself. It's the yes. vibration. Not many people cares like who is the composer. The credit doesn't matter much. So I think if I want to inspire more young talents who wants to come to this, you must be prepared for this. You mm. might not be known. Mm. Your name might not be known. But are you willing to to put up with this that is not for yourself, fame or, or celebrity status? Actually, everything is in the Dharma. As I learn, obviously, I want to practice what I have learned. When I started 30 years ago, I was already 30 years old. So mm-hmm. it's not like yeah, you're, you're still mentally not very mature. Maybe it's also my character and also my mom and dad's education. We were always trying being humble and helpful to other people. So I think this also helps. So I, I can't tell you one reason why I'm not carried away. Mm. Although I enjoy the limelight. Of course, I enjoy the limelight. When you stand on stage being recognized, mm. it's not because I'm famous, I've got a very good voice or I'm pretty. But it's that kind of satisfaction. <laughs> Just like... A sangha, when you you give a sermon and a lot of people use it in their daily life or you give Mm. a retreat and these people come back to tell you it's so, so usable. Like the Dalai Lama is very famous. Mm. Thich Nahan is very famous. Xingyun Dashi is very famous. Mm. They are the model that I want to follow. Eventually, whether I'm ordained or not, I want to be the next example of what they are. Just give out whatever they can do for the Dharma. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's mm. so beautiful. Some of our subscribers, they actually asked mm. what gave you inspiration for mm. the music? Just the text itself. I was always saying, what more can be more inspiring than the drama itself? Mm. So I don't want to source from outside. Since I take it as a responsibility, it's my work, that um, how am I going to present this mantra or sutta? So the mantra of sutta has to be the one that inspires me because that mm-hmm. is the thing that I need to reach out to many people. So how am I going to relate it and present it in my own way? And the thought of sharing it with more people. When I wrote the Heart Sutra in Mandarin, went on to Taiwan and it was one of the best sales of the record company, in the Tape Zhou, mm-hmm. the Great Compassion Mantra. But eventually when the famous singer Qi Yu she was singing pop all these years and then she wanted to sing Buddhist music. Oh. Her first album, she asked for my copyright for two of my songs. One of it is Sing Jing. So mm. I was very happy because she has got millions of fans over the world. Mm. And her effort of singing my heart sutra will reach out to more. That's why coming back to your question here, the inspiration should base on how far it can reach out to people. The gem in right in front of you that you need to deliver out. The gem in itself is already shining. Yeah, so brightly. Mm. It's right in front of you. You want to create a tool to present it. It's not like you have to find something nice in your life, some environment, nothing. Nothing is as important as just carry out this mission of yours. Yeah. Mm. So I put myself in a different position. It's quite different when you want to write a pop song and when you want to write a love song. Perhaps the thing itself, it's emotional. I say it's 梦幻泡影. 
then you got to go and find somewhere that makes you even more emotional. But whatever you have, the text of the Dharma right in front of you is the truth. Mm. So the truth is just one. So yeah. there's no other way to, to support it other yeah. than you just have to focus and do your best. Mm. Yeah. Can you share mm. a story that you remember of the most profound impact that your music has had on someone? Wow. Okay. Before Facebook, all the so-called sharing of experiences listening to my music, like the impact that you're talking about, yeah. has to be either from email or a letter with a stamp on it, sent all the way from Germany, from wow. Italy, from Argentina, from China, right to my mailbox. Mm. During the 9-11, after the thing happened, I got an email from an American. He's a jazz musician, a veteran, and then he works in a church nearby the World Trade Center. The church was open up to injured people and even mm. dead people. He told me that the church actually used one of my Buddhist music because they realized that the people who came to, to look for help might not be just Christians or Catholics. Mm. They can be people from all faiths. So they played one of the sutras. I think it's the Ratana Sutta. Oh. Ratana Sutta. He said he doesn't know anything about Pali. I think he went to search my music. And then he went to Chinatown and coincidentally he heard my heart to try in Mandarin. He said, what is this Jedi, Jedi, Poro Jedi? It mm. sounds very ancient to him. He then gelled what he heard in Chinatown and this Ratana is the same person, the mm. same voice. So he said, hey, I got to look for this lady. Who is she? He thinks that my music has some kind of, in his word, magical power that you can just absorb and got healed immediately. Mm. So yeah, he said many people actually listen to the Ratana Sutta. During, I think, a mass prayer, they just play their hymns, then they play my Buddhist song. And eventually, we, we became good friends. We yeah. share a lot. And he also practiced a lot of Dharma things, although he's a Catholic. And he also shared with me a lot of experience being a, a jazz musician in America who is quite well known. Of course, he, he shared with me what happened in the church when they played this song too. Mm. So Can you share a few? Maybe I shouldn't say this, but people who after they learn this, probably they are free thinker, then they started to learn Buddhism. In Mandarin, it was a two-thousand. Or people who have converted from Christianity to Buddhism or they've embraced both because they mm. think that these two religions does not really clash. They, they share the same universal love. So a lot of these inspiring stories, but a lot of touching story has to do with either parting of mm. your loved ones, whether it's death or divorce. So human being yeah. is being loomed into this it's like love, yeah, hate, hate relationship negativity towards someone or an incident. I hope more people will focus less on this attachment, on these four elements that cause us a lot of suffering. I think one day you don't even need music. If you can get over this, you don't need anything to heal you anymore. You, you can self-heal because the root has been plucked away. And, and when the root is plucked away, the grass wouldn't grow again. <laughs> yes, yes. At least we can just keep cleaning it, tone down this kind of attachment, make life a little bit simpler. And I think that's why the Buddhist teachings are so beautiful because it's also helping us to uncover our highest potentials, to clean it away, to pluck it away. Yes, and yes, hopefully one yeah. day we can really uproot it forever. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 
We have a cheeky question from one of the people. They were asking, what will you be doing if you were not doing music? Sleeping or eating. (laughs) (laughs) So, you are cheeky? No, Auntie Amy will not let you be cheeky. Okay, let's be serious about this. Yeah, I always am quite proud to say that I live like a monastic life, although Mm. I'm not ordained. I don't go out, go cafe, go for a movie. Besides my concert, Mm. I don't go out at night at all. Mm. Anything that I need to go out and socialize, it has got to do with my Buddhist work. Either we have a discussion or I need to be there to attend a ceremony or whatever. But talking about ceremony, I don't even attend weddings or anniversaries or happy occasions. I only go to funerals. It's like my choice. Mm. I can enjoy anything. I can enjoy a, a nice birthday party too. But I feel that in my life, I need to have my selection of what I do since mm. I have too much to do with my Buddhist music and also some other work that is related to it to build this music monastery that I aspire to have eventually. It don't have to be physically that's a building. But if I have a building, like we call it a music monastery, this is where I can maybe share and teach more people. Like-minded people can come together. Maybe the, 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 the Dharma work, through performing arts, music, and and dance will flourish even faster. I feel that uh, now I'm close to 60 next year, and um, I don't know how much time do I have to to, to Mm. achieve this. By trying to do as much as I can, then I got to sacrifice a lot of things. So I don't do anything else but eat, sleep, and do my music. Of course, (laughs) concert. Just the the necessary things, but I, I don't go out. I don't have even holiday plans to go visit a country. The only holiday I've ever went with my family was Singapore. And that mm. is also to visit relative. I've gone to many places, but it's because of my concert or mm. related to my Buddhist work. There was not one that is just pure holiday until mm. today. Yeah. Wow. Mm. wow. It, it just came naturally. It's not something that I planned, but I think it's like the work and the course of event that just spin off year after year. Mm. and lead me to where I am today. I'm quite happy with this. Yeah. I wish mm. you all the best with the Buddhist music monastery. <laughs> Thank you. It's mm. so cool. I've never heard of Buddhist yeah. music monastery you think before. It's so cool, right? All the people there, either you sing or you dance or you're a composer or you mm. are lyricist or you are research in somewhere. It's, also, yeah. it's so beautiful, this place where we can live together because I think with more people living it together every day, I think the, the whole process and the achievement will be by force. On a similar note, but also not, not too similar, I think this is a very interesting question on the idea that people pirate Buddhist music and books mm. uh, on the excuse of mm. Dharma is free of charge. Mm. Can you share your opinions or experiences? Okay, I think there are two kinds of them. A lot of people actually don't know they are copyright. But mm. there are also people who know that it's copyright and they pirate it. But if they pirate for the use of Dharma, not like for monetary benefit, I think it's okay. But it is also not okay if you come to think of it, eventually no one wants to become a Buddhist musician or book writer because it doesn't give them security anymore. It's always a voluntary work. It doesn't make sense also from the modern world point of view. Mm. So how are you going to survive? Because if you can do this, professionally wholeheartedly and and just do this and nothing else i'm sure the the quality of our work can be much better that's what the music monastery is all about when we have so many people we can put up good quality performances 
a good quality music, when there's a market, then there's a supply. That's where there will be a balance. Then we can feed these people and they can use this as their livelihood and make it their profession. It's going to be a very good thing, a very good future if we can build this up. Otherwise, now the whole mentality is just like this is only a part-time thing. Mm. How do you survive over these years? Oh yeah, maybe that's the most challenging part. If you want to ask me about this, it's always financial. People think that with my celebrity status, I should be very rich. But it's just the opposite. I'm not poor, but it's still difficult for me to be able to handle so many things with just my own effort. I can't take in sponsorship or, or, or offerings like the monastery because I'm not a monastery. So I'm trying to build this whole thing as a profession. But so far, so good. I just thought uh, it can be much better so that in the future... Many people can choose this. And I think this is also a problem that's very prevalent in other aspects of the Buddhist scene as well. Even when temples are running of it, most of it is all lurchian, right? People yes. donate. Yeah. And people who want to help is all voluntary basis as well. Then it results yeah. in a lot of attrition because fully talented ones, they have to go outside yeah. to earn a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> this is one big issue that I also see. Maybe most of this so-called donation or sponsorship or whatever should focus less on the hardware, like building the tallest Buddha or the building. But if you have so much space, we have to make sure that it's fully utilized and Mm. it can generate self-sustaining work. Mm. But looks like it's not the case now. A lot of the good people will not stay. You just cannot keep these people. I mean, I wonder why. Maybe the, the, the new generation can put this into serious planning. The traditional way of doing things should still be preserved but maybe we can have another option that we can build a Buddhist environment for more people to come like people who are serious in practicing and they want to learn but they also want to contribute at the same time they can also find a place where they can take care of their livelihood yeah because after all everyone is still lay people we still have to take mm-hmm. care of the four requisites on our own you should let them feel comfortable take care mm-hmm. of their needs first Give them what they need first. Instead of ask them to give you what they can give mm. uh, as a Buddhist, the other way around. Yeah. Well, I've never thought of it in that way. It's yeah. the other side. But because whenever you walk in, you say, oh, what can I offer? You think of that first, right? You never say, what can you offer to me? Mm. <laughs> you have to be brave to say that. If I walk into the Buddhist, hey, I, I can do this, this. Do you have anything to offer to me? But we are always asked to offer the Buddha and the Triple Gem first. Of course, that is... Something that we obviously need to do, but can that be not to new people who mm. wants to yeah. embrace the Dharma? This is quite difficult. Huh? We can try to understand. It's nothing wrong. It's nothing wrong. Mm. Yeah. With a handful of leaves, I think it's interesting. A lot of our volunteers, they become volunteers because they feel that they have benefited a lot. Um, mm. you say, oh, yeah, the content sure. reached out to me, then I want to help. So it's, it's like you mm-hmm. say, the opposite. Mm-hmm. They receive mm-hmm. before they can. Yeah. And I want to share with you some lovely notes that were given. This is from Gordon. And he says that one of the foremost reasons that got me interested in Buddhism back then as a primary school kid 12 years ago was due Mm -hmm. to your melodious voice. So thank you very much. Mm. I'm happy to share. Yes, this is interesting if you ask me about the very significant impact 
In fact, I'm very happy that as I travel around all these years, I met a lot of monks and nuns who told me the same thing. They became monks and nuns. The first influence was my music. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but I feel ashamed. I say, oh, yo, you are so I always make this joke, then they started laughing. <laughs> Many of them I actually keep in touch with. I also cannot say all this effort is worth it. No, because I'm not like somebody so great. As a Buddhist musician, you shouldn't say, oh, because you should feel blessed that you should be able to participate in this sense. Mm. It humbles yourself that you are not always looking to see that whatever effort that you put in, whether it's mind or body, is worth your life or not. Mm. Your life is worth nothing if you don't hit the Dharma. If you don't hit the Dharma, you have wasted this whole life mm. being born on earth. We should also bear in mind that this is very important yeah this is such a wonderful reminder because the opportunity to even be born as a human and to listen to the dharma is so rare yes so people always ask what's the purpose of life why am i here for what is the truth of life what who am i i think all these questions no need to look because once you look means that you want to identify yourself as a person and your worth but if you don't go out and do something, you will never know your worth. You can start from sweeping mm-hmm. the floor. Mm-hmm. You will slowly find your worth the, the day you breathe your last breath. That's the only time you know what is your purpose of life. I always think so. Not any moment in, in your life until your last breath. I think I will discourage people to look for the purpose of life. Because I think whatever comes, the first responsibility, go and do it first. Then it will unfold the next page. You will see it. Because a lot of people feel very stressful, like everything they do also, they feel that it's not them. Mm-hmm. It's not worth their life. It's suffering. It's torture. So I think you should just accept it as your karma. And then you will be happier that way, that you will notice that time will be the medicine mm-hmm. to heal you and the same time to open up the next page of your life. If you thinking that what is the purpose of life in search of the truth, then you probably will never get the answer. I think mm. this is my, my perspective. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. mm. And whatever it is that we are doing, we do it with our full, full heart, uh, whole heart, and even it can be as simple as just sweeping the floor. Mm-hmm. It's something that we can also is do yeah. it Mindful. I think mindful is a good word. Mindful doesn't mean you have to be always kind. You have to be always giving. Mindful just means you're aware of your surrounding, aware of yourself being there and aware mm. of people around you, things around you, happening around you. It's like your, your scan. You're always scanning yourself. Yo. But I think we should just put our radar open to a wider mm. scope that you can scan through 360 degrees, if not 270 degrees, or you open up 45 degrees. We, we talk about vibration. If we are one in the universe, we always say we are one. What is this oneness all about? We say, oh, we are oneness. We are happening one country, harmony. But what is that? What does that mean? How to get it started? So you can start with this. Open up your radar. Then you can scan things around you. Then only you can become one. But if you are not connected, you can't even scan three feet away. So if you are not opening up your scope, I don't think you can move on. Mm. Think that why, why am I here? Keep searching for happiness and truth. You will never do it. Yeah. 
That is very brilliant. And yeah. one last one. You say, Dear Sister Aimee Ui, your mm. chant showed me self-love and unconditional love for all beings. Relaxing in a chair, closing my eyes and following this chant, sometimes it brings tears to my eyes, experiencing the depth and boundlessness of this goodwill. I've mm. been transformed from the inside out from the regular practice of metta with your chant. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Sadhu, to you. Thank you very much for the sharing. I wish everybody well and safe. Those days, I always say, wish you well and happy. Recently, I think I should take away the word happy because I think it's overrated. Because if you keep on having this place to reach or to find this in search of this thing, I notice it doesn't work on a lot of people. In fact, you you get more depressed because everything you look around you is not enough. Because you have to get to somewhere to be happy. Yeah, it's like... I'm entitled. It's my mm. entitlement. So how can I find my entitlement of happiness? You know, so if you are not mindful or you have not enough wisdom or, or the environment is not conducive, you tend to go the other side. So I think we will say, may you be well and safe. I, I want to say safe because I think without this body, if you're, you're sick, death is not so scary. I think to me, because I'm prepared for it. But sickness is like you go through a period where your body just cannot wake up to your mind. Mm. So it, you still need your body to do a lot of things. So I think uh, I would rather wish people well and safe. So once you are safe from a lot of um, bad things around you or pain and sickness or disturbances, Probably when you're in a safe place, safe place doesn't mean that you lock yourself up all the way. <laughs> Sometimes being safe is like you'll be able to be in touch with so many out there and still feels secure. You're in control of your doings. We wish everyone, all our listeners to be well and safe. And mm-hmm. I think that brings us to the end of this beautiful sharing from Sister Amy. And thanks so much for spending your Most time welcome. here with us. Most and welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. And for everyone who likes our podcast, you can like it, subscribe to it on Spotify and you can check out Sister Amy's work on YouTube, Spotify and wherever else you find your music. Thank you very much.